Welcome to Supercharge My Practice, a podcast dedicated to helping you build a thriving and fulfilling natural therapies business. Each week, your host, Anil Mustafa, interviews leading practitioners and field experts, sharing proven tactics, inspiring stories, and actionable steps that will help you unlock your potential. Supercharge My Practice is proudly brought to you by My Appointments Practice Management System. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Supercharge My Practice. Today, I am interviewing Kirsten Anderson Ridge, who holds a dual master's degree in counseling and clinical psychology. With 17 years of experience in private practice, Kirsten has navigated the complexities of running a successful practice, mastering the essential do's and don'ts along the way. As a mentor and supervisor for over 13 years, Kirsten has mastered the art of guiding and supporting students through the journey of launching their own practices. With a wealth of knowledge and expertise, she's dedicated to sharing insights and empowering others with the essential tools for thriving in a solo practice. Kirsten, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So let's jump straight in. I'd love to know about a little bit about your journey as a psychologist and where you pivoted or why you pivoted into moving into the space of mentoring other psychologists to build a successful practices. Okay. Well, it started possibly when I was quite young, when I was about 14, interestingly. I was often a person who would be talking to friends about problems, challenges and the like. And my mother noted this and she said to me at that point, I think you're like a regular Dorothy Dix, which used to be the agony aunt in New Idea way back when. (laughs) And I sort of had it in my mind that, yes, okay, this could be a field that I go into. So from there in my mind I just got on with things. Things do what they do and I ended up, doing accounting, Um, the long and the short of that meant that, well, I I did it because at the end of the day I ended up in a job where I wanted to get a promotion. It was just, it was an admin job and they sort of looked at me and said, Kristen, we think that you look good but we don't think you're very bright. Wow. Hmm. And I sort of thought, well, goodness, what do bright people do? And in my wisdom at 18, I sort of thought, well, perhaps they do accounting. So I went on and I did accounting. (laughs) And, you know, life travels as it does. And um, eventually I came back around to thinking, actually, what I do want to do is psychology. So I did it a little bit later in life for that reason, because I'd obviously done accounting. I had a solo practice for about 15 years and quite enjoyed that and I was very much I was very much a pen and paper girl though like you know I'd write my notes you know practice software wasn't around like it is now so many a file was to be had and around about or 2019 I had then started to think to myself I'm starting to get tired because what I used to do is I would work three days a week and I would see, and this is not something that I'm proud of, but I think it's important for others to know that this is something that we can easily fall into. I was seeing about eight to ten clients a day. Huge. Yes. 
And at the time, I didn't really think about it. I didn't ask myself if that's what I should be doing or do I want to do it. The work was there. I enjoyed it. I did it. But the long and the short of that, after you've done 15 years of it, is you do start to get tired. And so 2019, I started to look at pivoting. I wanted to share my wisdom in a different way. At that point, I wasn't really sure how I would do that. I just knew that's what I wanted. Um, so I embarked on a few different courses, started to learn all about social media because prior to that I wasn't on it. Exist, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I just didn't I just wasn't into it. I just sort of thought, no, no, I value my privacy. I don't want I don't want to be on it. Anyway, I guess well, the thing called COVID happened, didn't it? And in the middle of that, something rather unexpected happened to me. I ended up doing my exercises as I do still, but you know, I picked up a one kilo weight and I started to get some chest pain and I thought to myself, hmm, indigestion maybe. Anyway, turns out it wasn't indigestion. It was a heart attack. Wow. And this is probably something that, uh, you know, I've shared with other colleagues as well and I think it's probably good to share it on here is that instead of stopping and thinking to myself, there's something not right here, I actually continued that day and saw five clients. Oh, wow. So this is not a badge by any stretch to be wearing, but it's just something that I was so far into thinking, I've got to just keep going. I've got to do this. This is what I do. I can't let clients down. This is what I need to do. So anyway, I rang a GP friend, long and the short of it. She says, well, Kirsten, it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon. This started at 6 a.m. She said, there is no real reason for this to happen, but... It's happening. So that, in fact, from that day on, I thought, all right, I need to pivot a bit quicker. Mm-hmm. I had 60 clients and I thought to myself, wow, how am I, the first thing was how, how was I going to reschedule all of these clients um, in the two weeks that I had off? And, yep, I did only have two weeks off and I was still mm-hmm. in that space of thinking I have to go back to work. Mm-hmm. So common amongst practitioners, those isn't it? Business owners specifically, it's always that I can't let my patients down. Even when I'm having a heart attack, I can't let my patients down. Oh gosh, to think about it now, I think, wow. So I even thinking, I don't think I was to be honest. Mm. So look, I then got back into the office. Um, in fact, it was a little bit prior to that. Opened my diary, and I just thought, okay, which of these clients light me up? Which of these clients make me feel like? I want to see them and that I feel like I'm really helping and supporting here. So that actually helped me to decide how I was going to move from having 60 clients and doing a pivot. So I did two things. I started to do that. I brought on a contractor to help with other referrals that that were still coming in. And I sat down and I sort of thought, if I am doing one-to-one work, I'm helping that person in this appointment, the next person, but if I help others to create a sustainable and profitable practice, then that person helps many. Mm. And that's how I was looking at it because, as I was saying to you before, I wanted to impart wisdom and I thought, well, the wisdom is that I know how to run a practice. Even though I did do accounting for an interesting reason, it doesn't mean that I do know how to run a business. And mentoring is something that 
I had wished was around when I first started. When I first started, I would just be, I would ask about 15 different people to get the answers. It would be nice to just ask one person who's been through it and been there and is prepared to be honest with you about that journey. So the long and the short of it was I knew that I wanted to do something different but in the same field. And sometimes in psychology we're sort of more taught, well, you need to stay in your lane, you need to do your counselling, you need to do assessment. But I thought there must be other ways and mentoring seemed to be it. So since then I've been mentoring for the last four or five years. And and you do you you're, you're doing that full time now, or are you still seeing some patients on the side as well? Mm, well, that's very interesting because now I have a group practice where I've got seven clinicians, two admin, and two marketing. So I've got quite a few staff. Mm. So my clinical load, as of three weeks ago, is consisting of my very last four plus two supervising my staff, running the practice and mentoring my own clients as in in the mentoring space, not in the clinical space. So, no, there's not a lot of clinical work being done currently because I'm never going to be able to grow businesses, mentor people, support my own staff the way that I was doing it. I did try for a year or two, but I would have said I got pretty tired. Mm, and I've got another question for you, but we'll come back to that one later because you were in a solo practice and now you've got such a huge team around you. So I'd like to explore that a little bit more a bit later on. Mm. The next question I wanted to talk to you about is something that you see consistently amongst all business owners in the natural or allied health fields, and that is they want to work in their practice full time. Yes. But they also need a full time income. And so they've got a supplementary income which may be coming outside of their field completely or Mm -hmm. in a similar role in their field but not one-on-one with clients, but they're trying to move into that space of building a practice that's going to be support them in a full-time financial capacity. So I'd love Mm -hmm. to know what guidance you would offer to practitioners who are aiming to transition into full-time practice but still Mm -hmm. rely on a secondary income stream. Yes. So I think the thing is, With private practice, you can set yourself up in an office space and you could sit there and wait for people to knock on the door, but odds on that's not going to happen. And you're right, you need need an income. So my suggestion, 9.9 times out of 10, so pretty regularly, Mm -hmm. is that people, if they're in a full-time role somewhere else, that they pull back one day or they start on a Saturday then they perhaps look at taking another day and another day just as you build. The other thing that I will say to my mentoring clients is have a have a buffer, have a financial buffer for that perhaps six months. That means that you have that space to build your client load. And with any business, be nice to think it takes five minutes. It mm-hmm. doesn't. So it's going to take time. So my suggestion is always to start slowly and transition that way. Mm. And just as an an offside question to that, and I ask this because you would have been in that same position yourself, Mm. being that you had your clinical practice still and you were mentoring. Yes. 
and in this in this in relation to this question you've got practitioners that are working in jobs to generate an income to try to build their practice so their attention is diverted do you have any advice or tips on how to manage building a practice when you can't give it your full-time attention be it because you've got this other job or because you've got children or you've got external factors that kind of take your attention and time away from the thing that you know you need to give all of your love so what's you know do you have any advice on how to manage that yeah look I think the thing that always strikes me first off is you know you've just sort of encapsulated it you've sort of said they want to build their practice yet they have a family yet they have another role and they're often in the same type of role but it's not private practice, it's not their own practice, etc. It's about acceptance, firstly, that all of these aspects in your life are going to continue. And it's, it's an old saying, isn't it? But patience is always a bit of a virtue, isn't it? Mm. And I think what we tend to do is we think, right, we have to do it all, we have to be it all, and we have to be amazing at it. The most important thing, I think, is that you know that this is a passion. So you're going to move the needle. It's firstly looking at how can you move the needle successfully without burning out? Because working in a business and working on your business are two very different things. Mm -hmm. So it's about carving out some space to do some marketing but to also work in the business, having the financial buffer and just kind of moving it that way. I think sometimes where I've seen clinicians experience a lot of challenges and disappointment is they have high expectations of themselves. And it's also important to, where possible, get as much support and outsource the things that you don't need to be doing. Now, that might be at home. That might be any other aspect of your life. You just have to kind of go, okay, if I've got these three things, which would be starting your practice, having your current role, plus family and life and friends, it's about looking at that and going, okay, this is going to be a short space in time, but how can I manage it well? Mm, I love that. Now, you nearly closed your practice due to financial challenges at one point, and I'd love to delve into uh, the experience and what happened and explain how you not only survived but that you built a thriving practice. As we said, you've got you know quite a few clinicians working with you. You've got a whole support team behind mm. you. You have somebody that manages your entire calendar for you. Mm. What, what happened and how did you get through that financial challenge? Mm, okay. So... I think when we were talking before, I was talking about the fact that I still had a really heavy clinical load in the beginning and I I did move it to five to six a day from eight to ten. I did do that. But what I did do is I started to do that across five days instead of keeping it to the three days that I did originally. So... The difficulty that I think caused me to get to a stage where I wasn't coping is a few things. I kept up the clinical load, which meant I was working in the business, but I wasn't working on the business, as I mentioned earlier. I wasn't 
watching the numbers. I wasn't watching that we were growing. There's more expenses that happen as you grow and you actually need to continue to budget for those things. You couldn't necessarily get your head and stick it in the proverbial sand and go, oh, no, it's going to be fine. If I shut my eyes tight enough, it'll be fine. So I started to not look at what I knew I needed to be looking at and what I needed to do really is to really look at, again, and you've got to keep doing this, is to know exactly what's coming in, also look at what's going to be coming out and making sure that you make provisions for that. And there's four quarters in any year. You need to be planning for, say, quarter one in quarter three in the year previous. And those are the things that are important. But I got to the stage where I hadn't really, I was saying to admin, let's do this, let's do that, let's do this, let's do this. And, you know, there was big bills coming in and I was just watching the, the business thinking can't go down and down and down. And something that people don't talk about a lot in private practice is there's not like in perhaps potential NGOs or, or government roles, there's not another there's not funding bodies in there helping you do this. You'll end up paying out of your own pocket if you're not careful. And I think all business owners have been in that space. So, and there's only so much time, so many times you can do that. So I called my uh, practice manager and I just sort of said, I just don't think I can do this anymore. And she said to me, well, I understand. She said, I'm a business owner and I understand she said it's about cash flow. And I sort of said, yes, it's about cash flow. So she's, she understood and she didn't say, well, what's going to happen if you do this and you can't really close your practice because of that? She listened and she also offered that I needed to talk to our bookkeeper and look at alternative ways to manage. So I got on the phone to the bookkeeper and had a bit of a chat and she sort of said you need to think about how you're running your practice differently. You need to, in her words, come off the tools and get into running the business. And there's always that moment where if you go off the tools, you're not making the money. You've got to rely on other people to do it. That's a big deal. Mm. That's a really big deal to rely on other people to, to obtain an income for you, your family their family and be the person that has a lot of responsibility. But sometimes you've got to look at something as a short-term dynamic and keep going, believing that it's going to be okay, looking at the processes, facing challenges, getting support. And what's happened now is I have many different accounts where, you know, one's for admin, one's for tax, one's for superannuation. So the bases are covered. I just chose to run the practice differently rather than keep working in it and thinking that the more I worked in it, that would be the better. And that wasn't a good analogy in the beginning four mm. years ago. And I think that brings up a very important point for our practitioners that are listening, and that is that we we get really good at seeing patients, even if it takes us a time, some time to build there, but we're never good yes. at the business side of things and we don't keep track of the numbers. And honestly, I think sometimes we actually don't want to see the numbers because we're exactly. worried about what those numbers are going to tell us. But what I've come to learn of late is that 
We need to remove the emotion out of the business. We need to just look at these as data sets. We need to look at this as information. So if every month you're going back in and you're looking at the new clients that you've acquired, how many clients, how many of those clients did you retain? Uh, what are your leads coming through the business? Those sorts of metrics that give you a guidance of what to expect, looking at your client lifetime value, et cetera, et cetera. When those figures are put together and you're looking at, at that information, you can now make rational decisions. But if you're burying your head in the sand, not wanting to look at those important metrics, you're actually doing yourself a massive disservice. So if you just look at these as information that help guide you to take that next step, rather than looking at it as you being a failure because you didn't get new clients this month or you lost some clients, just look at them as basic metrics that help move you forward rather than looking at it as you do something wrong. Look at it as what you can do to improve those metrics. And for me, that was something really big because you always take those things personally, don't you? You always think, oh, I must be a failure. But when you understand that they're just numbers and that there's no emotion behind Mm -hmm. those numbers, it helps you make decisions moving forward that are going to benefit your practice as well. That's right. And something that the bookkeeper and my accountant always say to me, Kirsten, the numbers don't lie. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Now, Um, a lot of practitioners in solo practice do feel quite isolated. Do you have any advice on practitioners uh, getting the support that they really need when they are in solo practice? Look, I think that's a really good point because often when people start up their own practice, they, they're used to a team. They're used to being, you know, getting up, having a, a coffee, even if it's just passing in the kitchen or in the hallway and it's just it's able all that ability to to be able to have a chat mm-hmm. and that is something that a lot of people do miss so my suggestion is have regular time where you have peer supervision chats with peers making sure that you are feeling connected within your profession mm-hmm. and that you are connected, if you like, because people think, okay, and I know I was guilty of this, you go into work and you just do work and you don't think about, okay, well, I do need some supervision for myself, I need some collegial support, I, and this also works for marketing as well, as well as that sense of isolation. It's about having colleagues that know what it's like that can be at the end of the phone if you're calling to say, oh, this has just been, this hasn't been good. And just that regularity, I would um, always look at having every six to eight weeks some peer time where you sit and you talk about what's going on in the business, what's, what are the trends, what's been going on, a mix of people, people that have been doing it for a while, people that are in the same situation as yourself and just feeling like you're connected in your community in whichever field you're in. Mm. And there's so many Facebook groups these days with practitioners yes. in them as well. So reaching out through those groups and asking for people that are local because it's great to meet online if that's your only option, but that in-person meeting mm. that you get, nothing beats that. So you could always put up a post in any of your groups and say, does anyone live in this specific area? Let's organise yes. to meet the first 
Monday of every month or something that makes it easy to remember and then start connecting in person with others that are going through that journey because when you realise that you're not the only one, you start realising that it's you're not a failure. It's just that you might not have Mm. the right direction or you might just be missing something that you need to know that somebody could say to you in a throwaway comment that could make all the difference in your practice journey as well. So I think that's really important to connect with others. Now, what Mm, essential skills or qualities do you believe contribute to the success in private practice? Is there anything specifically that you believe makes a practitioner a better practitioner? Is there something that you've seen amongst your mentees or the people that are in your practice working with you that you see them being more successful for any specific reason? Mm. I think think my answer to that would be if you're going to be in practice, in, in your own practice, it's learning to run a business. It's learning how to run a business. And the second thing would be, and I call it grit and grime, and that means to me that you are not allowing a situation, what someone has said, finances, marketing, to lead you on a roller coaster. So if those things aren't going well, that you're really flat. And, you know, when they're going great, you're amazing. So sometimes the business can take control of you. Mm. You need to take control of the business. And to me, it's learning to be sturdy within it. And those times when you're not feeling sturdy, as we said, you reach out to other colleagues, you talk to family and friends, it's about keeping those communication lines open about that. Mm, yeah. Okay. Uh, so the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is marketing. This is something that a lot of practitioners find very, very challenging. Did you find this challenging yourself? And what advice do you have for those who dislike marketing but obviously need to market themselves to build their practice? Mm. Well, think it through for the most part with the degrees that we do there's not usually an aspect of marketing like there is in a commerce degree or similar so marketing is a very foreign concept to most of us isn't it Mm, absolutely it's not something that you would think to yourself oh excuse me that's so exciting i'll i'll do this the unfortunate part is we have to do it Mm. i would say did i find it difficult It's not so much that it's difficult because there's something about beginning the process of relational marketing and that is building relationships with those that are in the field. It could be your supervisor, it's other colleagues. It's definitely something that over time you get better at. What would I say is the the best way to handle it? I think it's knowing that it is a bit foreign and it's going to take time to work out the best way for you to market your practice in the way that you feel comfortable with. And social media, oh, gosh, SEOing your website and things like that, that's very, very foreign to a lot of us. So it does take time to think, okay, wow, am I going to have to do that or I don't feel that great about that but which one will I choose? Which one seems more palatable to to me? 
Mm, I like that. And one thing that's coming up consistently amongst what I call old school practitioners, we've been out in the industry for a little while now, is the difference in our marketing strategy compared to today. And a lot of people think marketing has evolved and it has in a huge, huge, huge way. But the old school stuff, in my opinion, and based on the feedback I've had from the people that I have interviewed who've been in practice for, you know, over two decades, is that that relational marketing, it's getting connected with your community, it's meeting people in your local area, it's having events, it's when you are face-to-face with a person, that relationship that you're going to build is going to be far quicker and far more authentic than anything you could possibly do in a digital space and that being social media or even SEO or even Google AdWords. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of practitioners are feeling that a bit futile when it comes to digital marketing because it takes so long to get a response from that form of effort. But what they don't realize is that it's like asking someone to marry you on the first day. Just because someone has seen your ad doesn't mean they're just going to jump in and, and, and see you. Where's the no like, and trust factor? They don't know that you're the right practitioner for them. They don't no. know why you'd be best placed to help them. They're not going to know that you're a trustworthy person. And so it takes time to foster relationships with people to give them the, the 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 what's the word I'm looking for give them that confidence to book and take that next leap with you whereas when you're looking at doing more in-person events or in-person connections the connection in itself is so much faster and mm-hmm. that person can get your vibe and build that relationship so much quicker enough to want to be able to trust you often to want to marry you on the first day, and that is that they book that session right then and there. But I I think a lot of practitioners really get caught up that my marketing's not working, but you don't don't realise that it's not about somebody seeing an ad and jumping straight away. It's about them seeing your ad and then you nurturing that relationship to Mm -hmm. to build that know, like, and trust factor. So I think people find it disheartening for that reason, but I just want to make it really clear that we all do. We all find that we're in that same space, especially when you're in that digital marketing area is that it takes all of us no matter how good we are at marketing ourselves it takes all of us time to build that know like and trust factor within our audience as well so we, we touched on this briefly but i'll go into it again and that is how can practitioners effectively structure their working days to manage their schedules and run their business mm. without feeling overwhelmed so what we commonly see is that we're all really really busy focused on trying to get busy. We want to be busy practitioners. We want to be booked up or we want to have a really steady book of patients. But what we don't realize until we get to that other side where we are really busy is that if you don't make the time to work on your business and if all you're doing is working in your business, you're very quickly going to get burnt out, but then start to see the massive holes that exist in your business. And that is that you may have really bad retention with your clients. You may have... um, patients that aren't happy with your services and you're busy and you can't keep focus on that. Or it might even be that because you've got money coming in, you're spending more money going out and you don't realize that in fact, you're not in a very cash flow positive position because you're not keeping track of those important metrics. So mm-hmm. I think we we get so caught up in trying to get busy that we don't realize that we actually need to make time to work on the business. But as we discussed before, there's also those challenges that You want to be with your patients. You don't necessarily enjoy the business. Maybe Mm. you've got a secondary income stream. Maybe you've got children. Maybe you've got other external factors that keep at play here that kind of keep moving you away from where you want to be. 
So do you have any advice on the best way to structure your working week in order to have enough time to make money by seeing clients, but also to have the time to work on your business in order to help grow your business? Yes. Look, I think the thing is what you want to be able to do is it does go back a bit to the numbers where if you're going to look at any given week, you've got to work out how much money is needed to run the practice Therefore, you need to work out how much money needs to come in, also incorporating your own personal goals, obviously, and people sometimes forget about that. They just sort of think, oh, it's all about business. But there really isn't much point having a business if you're not going to be able to enjoy your life as well. Mm. So firstly, that's what I think. You need to have that understanding of, okay, what do I need here? And then look at structuring your week so you've got and you're working towards this obviously when you're first starting, but you're working towards having the number of clients that you need and then you do what's called time blocking. So you block out time to to do marketing. And obviously if you put in your diary marketing, you would also need to have a little note somewhere else that talks about exactly what that looks like. Then you would look at blocking off time for finances you need to time block each week. That's how my diary is structured. I have social media planning and then I have, you have your meetings and you have your, your, your client front-facing stuff, but unless you structure your diary each week with that time blocking, what happens is you think to yourself, oh, oh, a new client's just called. Oh, I'll just book them in. And like you say, we we feel quite I guess we get a lot of our energy and I guess satisfaction from seeing clients. And also some people kind of go, well, if someone's calling me, I should be booking them in. And we do get a lot of satisfaction from seeing a full client diary in front of us, but it just doesn't leave the time to run a business because what tends to happen is if we're always seeing clients, we're not keeping our eyes on the numbers, we're not keeping our eyes on the marketing, which marketing needs to be done well before you need the clients. Mm, so there's so many more aspects to that. So time blocking would be the best way to go. And using a timer. Mm, yes. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. Because what can happen is, you know, you might do some research on social media, for example, and think to yourself, okay, and then you start, oh, that's interesting, a timer, 15 minutes, then the timer goes off and that's enough to kind of switch and go, right, next task, pop up, have a break, and then on to the next thing. But it's so, it's it's the biggest trap that uh, practitioners fall into, not working on the business. Mm. And I think it's a good idea as well is to time block when you are most alert. So for me, that's yes. mornings. So if yes. I need to if I need to do something that's going to use up a lot of my my brain power, yes. it will be that I will block out a specific amount of time in the morning to get it done. And even if it's not something that I don't enjoy doing, if it's something that's going to require me to pay a lot of attention, I cannot do it in the afternoon. It's just not going to happen. I'm not going to be as productive. And then I'm going to get really frustrated because it's going to take me so much longer to do anything that I want to do purely because I can't think straight. So I think scheduling the time in for the things that you find the hardest first thing in the morning or the things that you don't enjoy doing necessarily do them first thing in the morning because if yes. that's when you're your brightest that's certainly for me I know some people are afternoon or evening people but just yep. 
time block in the times where you think you're going to be more productive. And like you said, give yourself a set amount of time because if you are sitting there going, I'm just going to do some research on a blog because I want to write a blog, and then you've been there for four hours just researching and you haven't even started writing the blog, it's going to take you a long time to push out content and then you're going to get disheartened by it. So give yourself those parameters, put your head down, turn off your distractions from your phone, don't worry about the washing or the cooking for that moment of time. Just focus on what you need to get done. And that's mm-hmm. how you start what I call smashing out work. It's when you become the most productive and you and then you walk away from that feeling really proud of yourself because you've achieved so much in such a short period of time as well. So I really love, I love the idea of blocking personally. The other thing I think psychologists particularly are quite good at, and that is networking, but it can also be very, very daunting. And we talked about this briefly earlier, but especially for people who are introverts, like going to see a GP or an allied health professional to seek referrals is a very, very daunting process. And I'd love to know if you, if I'm assuming this is something you utilize in your practice to build all of your practitioners as well. I don't know if you made your practitioners go and do this or if you were the the main person behind all of this, Mm -hmm. but I'd love to explore what advice you you give to others on how to give them the confidence to go and to speak to people within their community, whether it be allied health professionals or local businesses. It might even be a gym, for example. What advice do you have, especially for the introverts, to build their networks uh, through the the community that they have around them. Mm. Well, you made a good point earlier as well when you're talking about, I think the term you used was old, older style marketing versus the newer style marketing. So sometimes if you're introverted, you might want to do the more digital behind the scenes type marketing. However, we do know that even as an introvert, the relational marketing is going to move the needle a lot quicker. Mm. So I think it's firstly not having this expectation that you're going to go and meet six, let's say, practice owners or GPs or, you know, you're going to do it in a way that works for you. So I always think you bring it back to, okay, what do I need to accept about myself? If I'm a person who doesn't enjoy this, can I manage doing it in small parts? Can I or am I totally adverse to it? Okay, if I'm totally adverse to it, what other alternatives are there? Because when you think about it, yes, I think psychologists can be quite good at it, but, I mean, certainly I have practitioners in my practice that really find this unsettling. And so the advice that we gave was go in and be prepared. Have in your mind what you're going to say, but also give yourself a bit of a break and know that all it is is you're just going into chat. For us, it's the practice manager at a GP practice or you're going into a school and speaking to the school psych. It's something that you don't need to do six in a day. You go in and you might see one person. And never also underestimate, if particularly as an introvert or, or otherwise, the power of telling some, you know, one person each day what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. Because you never really know who is going to pick up on that, whether one day they'll go, oh, I remember that so-and-so said that they do this. Oh, I'll contact them. So... It's being realistic with yourself, knowing that there are so many ways 
to be able to to market. But look, introverts are often great with SEO, but SEO on your website, so search engine optimization, is great. It's a long game though. Mm-hmm. So it's looking at the keywords on your website, but rating higher on Google as you progress is going to be one of the better marketing tools that you can have. I would say a mix of relational and digital would be the best way to go, but also keeping the expectations real with yourself and not getting down on yourself for thinking, oh, well, so-and-so's gone to visit, you know, 12 GPs this week. Why can't I do that? It's kind of like it's accepting who you are and how best you work. And also don't go in there with an expectation. If you go into a GP's practice or a physio clinic or something, Mm. another business, don't go in there expecting that you're going to develop this great relationship and suddenly they're going to refer. All you're doing is just looking at it as an opportunity to introduce yourself and that's it. That's all you need to do on the first visit is to establish the fact that you are here and that this is what you can do and this is what value you can provide to their clients. And when they see that as as something that they can refer on to that you could work with them with that client, I think that it forms a much deeper relationship with that practitioner or that person, whoever it is that you're going to see. And something that I found quite helpful uh, and something that I teach a lot in the webinars that I run is that if you are an introvert and you're not someone who's likely to go into a GP clinic or go to a sporting club or go to a workplace because you want to run a talk of any nature, Ask your patients if they work in local areas. Ask your family and friends if they work in the local area. If they have a workplace or a school or a sporting club and they already have a relationship, ask them if they can organise a time for you to go and speak to someone about what you can offer for their audience. It's, again, not about you. It's about what value you can offer to their Mm. people. And when you've got somebody that goes into bat for you and says that you're a great practitioner and you know this and you know that, All you're looking at is to get your foot in the door and then to run the talk or whatever it is that you're doing so that people start getting to know you. And again, not walking away with the expectation that everyone's going to book with you. It's just getting your name out there. And like you said, you know, there's that referral network. So I went in and did uh, seated massages and workplace assessments and things like that when I was trying to grow my practice. And what I found that was some people booked in, but I was actually getting referrals from people that worked in those places who never saw me. There you go. because they've had that relationship and they know this is what you do, they're also going to refer despite the fact that they're not your clients. So you need to look at this as a long-term game in mm-hmm. building relationships, in introducing yourself. And when you start looking at it in that perspective, it kind of removes that pressure away because people do have that expectation that they're going to walk into a business and that business is going to go, sure, I'll send you all of my clients. It just doesn't work that way. Oh, definitely not. It'd be nice if it did, but it just doesn't. Absolutely would be nice, but no, it doesn't. As everything, it takes time, it takes confidence, it takes, you know, um, perseverance to get there. But when you do have that perseverance, that's that's how you achieve things. In fact, my favourite, my most favourite quote is, persist until it happens for if you do, it will. And I love that because when you keep going and you keep going, you keep believing in yourself, then the end result is always going to work out the way you want because you don't give up. So I love that. Now, I want to touch base on your mentoring experiences uh, as one of the final questions. And I'd love to hear some common pitfalls or mistakes that you see in your mentees as practice owners and what advice you would have for others to avoid those common mistakes. Okay. For most of us, when we go to uni, the one thing we're not taught is how to run a business. Mm. So I would say... 
getting support to understand what it means to run a business because that's the major factor that trips people up because, like we've spoken about today, people love seeing their clients. That's why they've gone into the profession that they've gone into. We often see running a business as for accountants or bookkeepers. thing is that we end up being part practitioner, part marketer, part bookkeeper, and that's what we need to have an understanding of. And I'm not sort of suggesting that, you know, you have a full kit here of exactly, but you do need to seek support to understand how to run a business. I don't think... I don't think that that's emphasised enough to people because often, particularly solo, people just go, well, it's not really a business, is it? Because it's just me. It's kind of like, well, do you have an income? Yes. Do you have expenses? Yes. Do you have to market? Yes. You're a business. <laughs> We're a business. We're a business here. So that's the difference. It's it's knowing to me that's 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 what moves the needle. It's when people come to me and say, it's not really working. I'll say, well, what's what's actually going on? And I'll sort of say, well, you know, I'm I'm trying to, you know, go to see, you know, we talked about GPs, but going in and doing that and, okay, what else? Well, that's it. It's kind of like, okay, so it needs to be broader and also pulling back on your mindset as well. It's like what are your expectations of yourself? What are your expectations of others? And do you have others around you that are, that are forming expectations that you're falling into? So mm-hmm. it's feeling that... You have a sense of this is the goal, but it's going to take time to get there. And learning how to run a business, often the way is things happen that are difficult. I always think that things are never a mistake if we learn from them. That's what I tend to think about that. Mm, I love that saying as well. And this is something that you teach as part of your courses, isn't it? It's that foundational knowledge of building a practice and understanding those basics that we don't get taught in school that are so important to set us up for practice success. My final question for you, if you could offer just one piece of advice, I know you've given us some golden nuggets in here, but if you could offer just one piece of advice to a natural health practitioner aiming to build a successful business that they love, what would it be? Ooh. I would say keeping their eye on the prize and that is the outcome and the fact that it's going to take time to get there. Know that there's going to be ups, Know that there's going to be downs, but know that if you keep going and keep seeking support, keep up the collegial connection, you will 100% get there. And I guess it tips back a bit to understanding about running a practice, what that looks like, and also not allowing the factors that happen within a business to run you. Mm. it's learning to take a step back and saying okay this can be done it's probably just not going to be done in two months time to to run a successful business a solo business in my opinion can take somewhere between six to 18 months if you're looking at a group practice or similar it's two to three years Mm. so know that I mentioned this before tonight patience can be a virtue it can be difficult but that's the way that I would look at it. It's a long game. It's not a short game. Mm, absolutely. Now, how can my listeners find out more about you, Kirsten? Okay. Well, you could visit my website at the private 
privatepracticeacademy.com.au. I have a podcast called The Private Practice Academy on Spotify and on Apple. And you could come out and hang out with me on Instagram, Kirsten Anderson Ridge. So that's all of the links. And all of the links will be in the show notes as well. Kirsten, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. It was wonderful to chat with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in today and I look forward to having you join me in the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest releases and for more helpful tips, look for me on Instagram under the handle Practice. This podcast is proudly sponsored by my appointments.